1: Hello and welcome to Christine Genaway. I'm Will Mallard. This is My Property World, uh, and Christine is a chartered surveyor, has a uh, a vast background in the, the property industry, well respected as a a speaker and presenter, um, both in um, professional circles and investment circles. Um, Christine, you're very welcome.
2: Thank you, Will. Lovely to be here again. Thank
1: you. Um, Now, we're going to talk about um, a uh, a really, uh, I suppose, detailed topic. Uh, It's about a recent change where we now have a tribunal, um, which... Do you want to tell us a bit about that, the FTT?
2: uh yeah okay it's not actually that recent but anyway <laughs> um the first tier tribunal is actually a part of the courts and tribunal service okay so it is part of the court service it was actually created in 2008 so it's getting a bit long in the tooth now but hopefully that means it's properly established um mm-hmm. and and it was it was developed really to, there were over 20 previously previously existing tribunals. Um, that people used to go to court for some things, to a tribunal, and it was all a bit of a mishmash. So someone in their wisdom decided, actually, we ought to rationalise rationalize all this. So we'll create a first-tier tribunal, and we'll have a property division to deal with property matters, residential property matters, that is, not commercial property matters. So it's been in existence now for 13 years. Um, and the various tribunals sit in parts of the country. In the, uh, there's one in Bristol, for example. They tend to be in Um Yeah, and they deal with all matters relating to residential property. Obviously, the most popular one of those is leasehold property. So,
1: right. predominantly. Uh, that's yeah. a, a favourite topic of. A of favourite yours. topic. Yeah, now, <laughs> Certainly. Is. I, I, We'd um, be delighted to know um, if you could share a little bit. I understand that you're, you've been running uh, or involved in a, a recent appeal.
2: Yes, we.
1: Um, I assisted.
2: Union. Yeah, absolutely. I assisted. Uh, can you share, a, recent, share a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I was approached by um, a group of leaseholders um, who were having. Problems with, shall I say, with their service charges, with the amount of them, with the quality of the service being provided, with invoices going through the service charge where they didn't think the services had actually been provided, with lack of a fire risk assessment, with and you know, the problems that a lot of leaseholders experience, which is the common parts and the exterior of the building are all looking a little bit scruffy and down a heel. Maybe the, um, uh, the, um, what's the expression I'm looking for? You know, the, the uh, buttons, the the doorbells, oh my goodness, the door opening facilities on the front of the building, they're all not working properly. So people, if people ring the bell, they can't bust them in from upstairs, all those types of things. The bins are next to the front door, it all looks a bit of a mess. So it's, that's bad enough if you actually live there, but if you're an investor, then it really detracts from the attractiveness of you finding tenants. So they had all those issues, lots and lots of issues. And um, they decided to get together and approach me um, to give them some advice and assistance on trying to sort it out. So the first thing I advised them to do was to form a residence association because although that doesn't give them power, it gives them some influence and it gives them the right to approach the landlord, the freeholder and the managing agents to, to try and get things done, to, to voice their opinion collectively. Um, It also, as we were probably gonna end up going to the tribunal, um, shows the tribunal that they are serious about this. And they're not just a bunch of rowdy leaseholders all shouting shouting at the same time. Um, So first they they formed the Residence Association and then they appointed me as their appointed surveyor. That gives them certain rights to um, demand information from the freeholders. Um, they appointed me to do what's called a management audit, which the freeholders just completely blanked. I know that's a long story. But we, we ended up, um, we, the residents' Association um, submitted a claim in the first tier tribunal. Now, the, the forms that you fill in um, ask you to specify which two service charge years you're, you're you know, challenging, but they do give the option to go back six years. So indeed, we went back six years. And um, then the work started um, because it's actually quite a task. First of all, to gather all the information. So the original application was, we're not happy with the service charge. We believe we've been overcharged. We believe this, we believe that. Service is not provided, etc., etc. et, cetera, et cetera. Um, And then once the process starts, the first thing that happens is you end up going to mediation. And it was actually at mediation that the agreement was um, forthcoming from the freeholders and their agents to provide all the information which which was requested in part of the management audit. So once we had all that information, we were on our way. Um, Then the work started because plowing through six years worth of service charges, invoices, um, work orders, instructions to contractors looking at all the um the detail of all the contractors insurance is a massive amount of work and i don't want people to think is this is a quick easy process because it certainly is not so months went by with information being exchanged by both parties under the direction of the tribunal until we finally got to a hearing um, now, the hearing is obviously the bit where you stand up, you say your part, you answer questions, and you hope that you can persuade the tribunal um, that your challenge. It's a little
1: bit like a gymnast who trains for, for 10 years to go to the Olympics and uh, be there yeah. for, a, for a day.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So you have, as you say, your day in the tribunal. Um, the process is, um, well, we'll go through the process later, but the upshot of the that particular case was that due to the amount of preparation that had been done by me, the Residence Association, the chairman of the RA, um, we managed to persuade the tribunal, actually, to be fair, they didn't take much persuasion, um, that not only were there six years worth of service charges correct to be challenged, and a lot of items were struck out as being unreasonably charged, um, but Months and months, over a year had gone by, and he actually, the chairman actually allowed the following two years' service charges to be opened and included. So we got eight years' worth of service charges, basically re examined in forensic detail, um, and a judgment in favour of the Residents Association, which resulted in an order of repayment. It's not an order of repayment, it's an order of unreasonably charged service charges of practically £20,000. Plus interest.
1: Sorry, so, sorry, I, you cut out yeah, that was. Quite oh, a
2: I'm So the um, the the upshot of the tribunal hearings, which went over two days, were that the residents' association won their case and were awarded twenty thousand pounds plus interest. But I'm rounding the figure, but that was basically it, twenty thousand pounds plus interest. Now that is an award of unreasonableness of the service charges it is not an award of payment because the tribunal doesn't have the power to make the freeholder put that money back in the service charge that they've unreasonably spent so further action is now underway unbelievably like (laughs) we're over two years since this whole thing started um, to force the freeholder to put that money back in the service charge and the charge has been taken out over the freehold, and, and, it, and it gets one difficult. Of the, <sighs> one of the
1: more common misconceptions is that the service charge money is um, is the freeholders.
2: Which is obviously completely incorrect. The The service charge money belongs to the leaseholders, and the freeholder or their managing, managing agents hold it in trust and spend it in accordance with the law, this is theory anyway, (laughs) um, for the benefit of the leaseholders, not for the benefit of the freeholders. Um, So there's sometimes quite a lot of um, jiggery-pokery goes on with that, which is very frustrating and annoying for leaseholders generally. That's a
1: uh, really good live example um, about the First Tier Tribunal. In terms of um, what... What does the tribunal actually cover and what doesn't it cover in summary?
2: Okay, so the the FTT, as it's called for short, um, covers a very defined set of cases. Um, If a leaseholder wants to enfranchise, extend or renew their lease, and they can't agree a price with the freeholder, the tribunal will determine the price based on the evidence offered by both sides. They look at the reasonableness and whether in fact service of service charge and whether in fact it's due and properly payable and I have to say that is by far the most common leaseholder application by a mile service charges are like 90% of the tribunal's business, they deal with disputes over the landlord's choice of building insurer. they will deal with applications from the freeholder to dispense with Section 20 requirements. Now, Section 20 is the, um, you know, over £250 per leaseholder work. So you should go through a process. Um, that's a whole subject on itself. But basically, if expensive works or running um, annual re- annual contracts, which are over a certain amount, um, a Section 20 consultation is supposed to take place with the leaseholder. So they have their chance to. Enter, you know, engage with the process. If but the freeholder can apply to the tribunal to dispense with that. Um, they deal with whether any administration charges applied by the freeholder are reasonable and payable. They deal with disputes about the right to manage. They deal with them, um, you can ask them to appoint a manager or receiver if you can prove the landlords at fault. They deal with applications for variations of leases determining rent charges. If there's an estate management scheme in place, that's an oddity. And they deal with disputes. If a freeholder has sold the freehold, they're supposed to give the right of re- first refusal to the leaseholders. And if the land if the freeholder hasn't done that, they deal with the disputes and they can actually unpick a freehold sale, declare it null and void and transfer the freehold to the uh, leaseholders. So. Um, they deal with all those issues. But the one important thing they don't deal with, and I um, this was one of the first things I said to um, the residents Association, is they don't deal with any service charge disputes if the leaseholders have agreed to or admitted that the service charge, is reasonable or whatever. Um, just paying it doesn't constitute agreement. So I, the first thing I did was uh, they said, well, we're just not going to pay our service charge. And I said, well, you can't really do that because I've looked at your lease. Service charge is reserved as rent, um, which is a very specific legal thing. And you, it's dangerous not to pay it, but you must pay it without prejudice and always pay it without prejudice. So what you're saying is I'm paying it, but I don't think it's right, effectively. And that reserved your position with the tribunal. Um, Sometimes the tribunal take cases from the county court because people have gone through the county court process and the county court has gone, oh, this is is for the tribunal and they just hand it over to the tribunal.
1: So it's effectively referred through by- It referred
2: from the county court, yeah. Um, Now, if you go through the county court process, it's very formal. So you've already done a full trial bundle and all your witness statements, that. So in those instances, the tribunal may just say, look, we've got all the evidence we need here. We're just gonna do it with the paper. We don't need to see anybody. But generally, if you apply direct, there's a hearing, you turn up in person in front of the tribunal and they ask you questions. And the other side asks you questions. You ask the other side questions. The, The tribunal chairman asks very detailed and the other members and pertinent questions there's always the tribunal chairman is normally a lawyer and then he'll have um usually a surveyor uh, very experienced and then one other person there you know the three of them
1: and so there's there's a um obviously a the bulk of the work is in the preparation but you turn up what what's the process on the day
2: the process um on the day is that it's Obviously, you've prepared all your paperwork. You've given notice, the tribunal of issues. Is it in papers. a
1: courtroom type? Well, not.
2: They don't like to use a courtroom, actually. But the one, the last one that I did was in Bristol and they do use the courtroom only because it's free (laughs) for them. (laughs) So (laughs) they don't have to hire anywhere. Um, So the first thing the chairman did when we turned up is apologise for how formal it was with them sitting up on the bench, as it were, and us sitting down. You know, so please pretend we're all just sitting round a table. Um, So what happens is um, there's absolutely no unnecessary formality with the tribunal. If you go to a county court, there are restrictions on what we call the rights of the audience. In other words, only certain people can sit at the front, um, you know, with the claimant and the respondent. Um, you have to be appointed as a representative or you have to be their solicitor or something. Well, it's, there's none of that in the tribunal. Anyone can sit on the front row and, and pitch in. And the other big difference is where the applicant, the leaseholders, the residents' association, Having instructed a surveyor as they instructed me, um, I, I was able to act and combine two roles of advocate on behalf of my client and expert witness. It, you can combine both of those roles um, in representing your client, which is you would never be allowed to do in court. An expert witness in court has to be absolutely impartial. There's no impartiality requirements in a tribunal. But then the tribunal are very experienced. Once a lawyer wants to you know, they know they know what's going on. Um, the the tribunal will want, if they possibly can, to inspect the property, which is at the centre of the dispute, and it's usually lots of flats. And so they see with their own eyes the problems that the leaseholders are raising, like you know, nobody ever empties the bins, homeless people come sleep on our doorstep, getting you know. The outside never gets painted Exactly, you know, this isn't working, that isn't working, blah, blah, blah. Um, They don't have any power to hear evidence on oath. They don't take um, evidence on oath and there are no formal rules of evidence. Um, But nevertheless, they do follow a process which involves each party having the opportunity to outline their case. And the tribunal asking relevant questions and whether they have the documents they need to support. So, although you're not in court, you do have to fully prepare the equivalent of a trial bundle. And I would always say to people if there's anything, a side issue anywhere that you, it's not really relevant to this, but, you know, don't leave it out. Don't leave it out put it in the bundle, print off the emails and the documents, put it in the bundle just in case. Because the um, the case that we did, the freeholder midway through presenting their side of the story started to say, oh, and um, of course, uh, the leaseholder of the top flat um, put a uh, velux window in the roof without permission and caused lots of problems with the roof leaking." Well, that was a complete side issue, which has nothing to do with the application. But we got all the documents in the bundle and actually they had given consent. And actually it was their fault that the roof wasn't fixed because they were notified and nothing happened for months on end. So they tried in midway to get a Section 20 dispensation on the cost of those works um, and failed, obviously, (laughs) because we'd got the documents with us. And if we hadn't, the tribunal wouldn't have been able to take any account of our side and would have just taken their side, effectively. So that was, always take everything with you, even if you think you don't need it. Obviously, the other side have a copy of the trial bundle. Um, And they will go through it with a fine tooth comb to see if they think you've missed anything out that they can then hone in on at the hearing and try and chip away at your case. That's, That's generally how they do it. After the, it's usually just a day, we spent two days, because on our side, there was me and the chairman of the residents' Association, and on the other side, there was um, a representative a freeholder, there was the freeholder managing agent, because they had a separate managing agent for the freehold, ground rent, and the building. There was the building managing agent, there was a solicitor and a barrister, so they came mob-handed. Um, and in a way, I don't think that does the other side any favors because I think the tribunal, look at that, and think, oh God, you know, this is not how it's supposed to be. Um, this is supposed to be an informal forum for settling disputes. It's not a court. It's not a trial. It's not. So actually, in that instance, um, it re, I, you definitely get the vibes while you're there because you know, from the from the tribunal they they didn't like the tribunal didn't like it but they turned up with the barrister and all the rest of it they they really didn't like it but there you go worked to our to our advantage but we had proved our case indisputably proved our case and the tribunal chairman was very blunt in his criticism of the other side particularly the managing agent who was charging service charges just arbitrarily dividing costs up between the flats and completely ignoring what it said in the leases, which were, you know, originally the development had been a lot more units and parts had been sold off, but the lease has never been amended to reflect that. So where a lease said one twenty-fifth of that, there were now only 10 flats, say. So it should have been amended to a tenth, but they never did, but they were charging a tenth, even though the lease said a 25th. So he was absolutely wholly unimpressed with their approach on that. Um, So, yeah, it was quite an interesting day, actually. Very Now, I would recommend these hearings are open to the public. So if you check your local first-tier tribunal um, and look at the cases coming up, because they're all public information, and you're thinking about going and doing an application... Then my advice would be to go and sit in at the back of a few of these. The tribunal chairman will probably say, "Oh, hello, who are you?" You know, da da da. Uh, but you're perfectly entitled to be there. Um, go and sit at the back and just listen to everything that's going on and how it's all done and the questions they're asking and you know how the in the relative informality of it. Because I think it'd be quite an eye opener, um, and it's a very good guide to how to present. Your case, if you decide you want to go to the tribunal. Um, as I say, it's much less formal, um, but you still need a very, very structured argument and a very focused preparation. Do not leave the tribunal with any gaps to fill in from their own minds or, you know, implications. You give them the evidence, all the evidence, every bit of information they need. And if you have someone with you, like a surveyor or an accountant, if you've done an audit of the service charge accounts and discovered huge holes, make sure their reports go into the tribunal at least a week before the hearing date, so they've got a chance to properly read them. Because I don't know if anyone's actually um, done a claim in the county court. I'm sure many people have. But you often find with a county court claim that the judge who's sitting that day um, you're due in at 10 30. He picks up the file at 20 past 10 and tries to read it. So the evidence has got to be succinct and to the point, but it's got to all be in there so that you make it absolutely crystal clear to them. A good example, okay. One of my clients is an ex police woman, very nice woman, but I asked her to draft a witness statement um, to put in a in a bundle um, about exactly what had happened. Well, I received this witness statement, the draft of it. She said, this is just the first draft, just the first part, there's more to follow. Well, it was about 15 pages of A4 closely typed. And I phoned her and I said, look, I'm not, don't take this criticism because I know you used to be in the police, you're used to having to do very detailed reports and present in court now. But what I need is two sides of A4 Bullet points, no more than two sentences per bullet point. And she went, oh, oh, okay. (laughs) And that's what we ended up with. And of course, that's easy for the tribunal to scan and absorb. They would never have absorbed what could have turned out to be 30 pages of closely typed A4. Uh, there's, There's just not a hope, not a hope. And if you do it that way, you end up with the tribunal trying to scrabble through the bundle and trying to understand this and how it relates to, page three relates to the document on page 17.
1: The, the level of your documentation and the quality as well as the depth that it goes into, um, how that's presented, uh, firstly gathered and then how it's actually presented must have a uh, like a big bearing.
2: Absolutely crucial. You want to make it easy for the tribunal to understand your case. And the easier it is for them to understand, the more likely they are to believe that it's true. And that's the general principle with anything, isn't it? Not, not just the tribunal. Um, if you're doing any document to try and persuade someone of something, whether that's an application for funding or a development proposal, whatever, then you make the document as short as it can be without leaving anything out you keep you keep it very clear each point succinct and to the point and you reference anything you need to reference a spreadsheet or email or something that you put in the back so so it's very easy for people to absorb it and understand it and um that's what we managed to achieve and um the result was a hugely successful outcome which was nice for the client and for me actually so uh, it was it was actually almost enjoyable <laughs> am I allowed to say that um just I'll, because I'll it was so it nice at to the you end uh,
1: next time <laughs>
2: <laughs> um very gratifying when the uh, written judge because they don't say anything on the day you you pretty much get the vibe of how everything's going but they they won't say on the day oh you know Yeah, absolutely, you know, you'll get a... They send you their written report, um, usually comes about six weeks later, and their determination of... And they go through every point that's been raised. They're making notes the whole time. Every single question that gets asked, every response, every point that's raised, every document that relates, they're making all those notes. Their determination is usually nearly as long as the submission.
1: Now, as someone who is intimately involved in, um, I, I suppose, the, uh, this section of the property industry uh, and a, a range of different professional and personal levels, uh, you're very well placed to take a view. Uh, has, has the um, tribunal as a, uh, as a concept Uh, is it working? Is it fit for purpose? Uh, Does it need tweaking? What do you see as the future holder?
2: I think the tribunal does work well and I think it is fit for purpose. I think where people think that it might not be is because possibly they haven't properly prepared their case or they're trying to bring something to the tribunal which they can't deal with. Mm -hmm. And then they believe that the tribunal's no good. Um, so, uh, well, the, for all the reasons that I've outlined, if you, if you get all your evidence, and that I can't really stress enough how long that takes, forensically going through service charge accounts and reconciliations, looking at, at the leases, reading the leases, understanding them, the implications of repairing clauses as to who's responsible for what, The breakdown of different schedules relating to different parts of the common estate and how parties contribute to that. Um, Understanding and really looking into all the detail of that and then building your case back up literally line by line through the accounts. Um, An example would be on one I've seen. somebody, a freeholders managing agent was charging like £100 a month for someone to go and spray all the weeds, right, in the steps and the car park. Um, well, it was pretty obvious when I went there that the weeds hadn't been sprayed for a good few years. <laughs> the tenants, are, the leaseholders occasionally sort of chop them down to try and keep things into control. But of course, when the tribunal went there, they saw it with their own eyes and there's nothing quite like seeing something you can look at photos you can read stuff but if you actually go there and look at it with your own eyes and the freeholder saying we we've got a contractor every month they come and spray the weed da, da, da. and the leaseholder just goes look at our lovely jungle of weeds the um the tribunal
1: go they might well, want to put some weed killer in uh the, with the water in the with spray instead
2: of just <laughs> instead of uh, plant food exactly um Obviously the weeds are not being sprayed, we can see that with our own eyes. Another example, Um, the the leaseholders, the responsibility for um, repairing and and replacing the timber, um, this is a Georgian building, which you know expensive anyway to maintain um the it was the leaseholder's responsibility to repair and replace if necessary the timber sashes sliding sash windows but it was the freeholder's responsibility to paint them every three years under the service charge okay they hadn't been painted in over 20 years so basically there wasn't really much paint left on them and they'd started to rot etc etc um so the freeholder sent some photographs in of just one of the flats in this block who'd replaced their Georgian slashes with UPVC windows which without planning but let's not even go there um and said there's nothing wrong with the windows look at this lovely photo of the windows um and when the tribunal actually went there they said but what about all these <laughs> other windows that are all falling apart and are- and I've got Buddleia grown out of the window frames, you know, and all this sort of thing. Um, and the, the freeholder, I don't think they actually expected the tribunal to inspect. They, The, the faces when the tribunal said, first thing we're going to do, we're going to go to the property because it, it was very close by. So it was easy. And the freeholder's face dropped a mile because they thought the game's up now. Literally, the game is up. So... I can't remember how we started this point and sorry I've probably waffled completely off the point but I do yeah tribunal is it relevant I think it is because the informality of it gives the tribunal a lot more scope to act they're not really acting as an arbitrator as such they're not just looking at the paper and saying well you know you say x but you haven't produced any evidence therefore i can't take any account of it they're going to look at the property they're seeing it with their own eyes. As they're asking pertinent questions to really dig out the detail um so they the informality of it is actually an advantage i think that's my personal view other people may disagree obviously um they'd be wrong but they go <laughs> i think it works really well and I, I don't think uh, ten years ago, fifteen years ago, maybe when it was, um, maybe even after it was formed in two thousand and eight, there was a general perception that it was very much in favour of the freeholders, and they, the tribunal thinks leaseholders are just a pain, and you know all these spurious claims, and but I'm not sure that was ever really true, but that was the perception. But now, certainly, the perception is that. If the leaseholders take you as the freeholder in front of a tribunal, the chances are you're you're going to get, no tranced. Yeah,
1: because they seem to be. It's they, a, they. It's a really sorry. interesting thing at the other end of um, the development process as well. Like how uh, developers um, should be looking at setting up tenures uh, in the different tiers of. Um, uh, how how buildings will be maintained and serviced and um and it's obviously quite relevant at the moment in the news but um yeah. because their development processes quite often take a, a number of years to work through how people value that in advance i think um a, a very good uh, topic for another podcast but
2: yeah absolutely. christine
1: i'm, I'm very yeah. conscious of your time Your um your very valuable time. Uh, your, <laughs> okay. your contribution is, is, um, is, is welcomed and, and we'll, we'll get you back on again um, in short order as soon as you're, you're available. But um, well done. And Christine, if someone's interested in finding out a little bit more, um, what, what's your website? What's the best way that they could uh, look you up and um, get in touch?
2: Okay, well, the easiest way is uh, www dot. Do you even have to say that these days? I don't think you do. It's just christinejanaway.com, dot I nearly said it again. It's not dot com. It's dot co dot UK.
1: Brilliant. And how do you spell uh, Janaway?
2: J-A-N-N for Norman, A-W-A-Y.
1: And Christine with the niece. So christinejanaway.co dot UK. Yeah, the, uh, yeah, right. the old hey, that, that's fantastic. The Um, I'm Will Miller, (laughs) Christine Genoway, um, Chartered Surveyor. You're most welcome. Thank you. Um, You are too. Again, on soon. Thank you.
0: Cool. Thanks, Will. Welcome to My Property World, a light and informative look at all things property. We have designed this series for people involved in property and property finance in the UK market. However, we do take examples from all around the property world. Our aim is for us to make money from property together, whether that be buying, selling, financing, trading, or getting involved in a deal in another way. We do this by informing, entertaining, and enjoying ourselves talking property, which gives you a chance to get to know us, what we're up to, and to check us out until you're ready to make money together. In the meantime, my property world is free and fun, so plug in your headphones and enjoy. We would love for you to like, share and comment, so please do on social media. And if you have questions, ideas for topics or deals you would like to explore, we're always looking for guests, so get in touch via the My Property World profile.